before we get started, I want to offer you a free vacation. This is related to my business where I help other businesses reduce their contract-related costs. If you are a decision maker at a medium or enterprise business, then I want to talk with you to see about how we can address your contract costs and drive savings. If you know somebody who's a business decision maker, then I would like you to help me get in contact with them. In exchange, I am going to give you an absolutely free vacation at one of 30 places across the United States with no obligation and no timeshare pitch. The value of this offer, depending on how much savings we achieve, can literally be between thousands and millions. Please go to offer.terminalvalue.biz right now and let me know a little bit of information about your business so I can get your free vacation set up right away. Hey, welcome to Terminal Value. So everything that I do here is based on one big question, and that is how do growth-oriented people overcome the psychotic vortex of society to create a life of value and meaning? That is the question, and I am here to bring you the answer. My name is Doug Utberg, and this is Terminal Value. I publish new content every week so make sure to hit the subscribe button and turn on notifications and then share your thoughts on each episode through social media and make sure to tag me so that I will know what to create for you. We have Jurgen Strauss with us today and we are going to be talking about making marketing human again. And I think this is actually a really relevant topic because back in the old days, if you know, a lot of marketing was very low tech, right? It was either display advertising or it was phone calls. And then in the 2000s, everything became super technology-based into where it's, you have sales funnels, you have autoresponders, you have all this tech that's going in place. Now what's ended up happening is that people stopped being viewed like people. They just got <laughs> turned into dollar signs and numbers. And I feel like there is really going to be a market shift toward a more human-based marketing. I think just because the technology-heavy travel channels have gotten so saturated. But anyway, the purpose of this podcast is not for me to monologue. I want to hear from Jurgen. Jurgen, please introduce yourself and let's kick the conversation off. Hi, thanks for having me on the Terminal Value Show, Doug. I really appreciate it. My name's Jürgen Strauss. I own a business called Innova Biz. I also host a podcast called Innova Buzz, which has over 550 episodes published Beautiful. to this date. And as Doug said, our philosophy is to make marketing and podcasting human. Again, the whole background of people using technology to leverage marketing. And I'm a big fan of technology. In that embrace of technology, I think we've forgotten somewhere along the lines that it's people doing business with people. Even in the B2B space, it's still a person doing business with another person. And I'm all about, let's embrace that again and let's work out how can we build those connections with the other person? How can we serve that other person? Because that's the way we differentiate ourselves and that's the way we actually move forward to having a business conversation that will find that match between what we provide as a provider and what our client needs as a service or a product. And you know, the way that I'm really seeing this future equilibrium taking place, and maybe I'm wrong and everything will become AI, it'll become <laughs> the AI dystopia that we're all afraid of. But 
assuming that my vision for the marketing future takes hold, I see technology as more a way of augmenting human reaction as opposed mm. to replacing it. Because I feel like what ended up happening was you had interactions that were very human heavy, people heavy. And of course, my background's in finance, so I know exactly what the finance people did. They said, oh my God, that's yeah. so expensive, automate it. And so yeah. then what happens is you get it to where you have things that are completely automated and there's almost no human interaction at all. And then people get really fed up with that because of course their problems don't get solved. They end up having just a whole lot of issues. And so now I think that there's this retracement back toward more human interaction. And so I really think instead of saying, how can you have technology completely run your marketing process to say, how do you have technology augment your marketing processes so that you can get better operational leverage while still having a human element, or at least that's the way that yeah. I think about it. Yeah, exactly right. I think you've really hit the nail on the head there. And one really good example that I was having a conversation with someone recently that I think highlights this is technology and AI allows you to collect data and AI is really good at analyzing data and providing outputs from that data at a much faster and much more efficient rate than we can as people. And this particular conversation went along the lines of what if you could analyze all the data of people in your contact database and determine who are the people you should be in contact with regularly and what sort of frequency should you be in contact with them and then remind the appropriate people in the organization, hey, it's been six months since you've spoken to Doug. Yeah. And that person then gets on the phone or gets on a video conference or, or arranges a in-person meeting with Doug. And that's the human connection part. The technology enables the organization to actually see who has the deep relationships can analyze across the organization, who has the deep relationships, which are the relationships that are being neglected because there hasn't been a meeting for a while. So that's one example that I see where technology can really help. And of course, I think we can still use things like autoresponders and emails, send things out, but use them in a really smart way. So I get lots of emails from services that I'm already subscribed to, and they keep sending me the sales, their sales emails saying a special offer, subscribe to this service. Now they're shooting themselves in the foot often because they send out a special offer and I see the discounts that they're offering to new customers to bring new customers in, yet I'm paying the full price and I've been a customer for several years. So I'm a loyal customer and being annoyed, first of all, by the sales emails that I'm already a customer, so that's unnecessary. And secondly, if they're offering a discount to new customers, they're really annoying me because they're not offering me as a right. loyal customer that same discount. Exactly. And okay, so now if we're talking to somebody who is looking to implement what we're saying, what do you think is that right first step? Let's say that you have somebody who is either under the spectrum, they've either been very manual and they're trying to augment with technology or they bought into the technopia, the techno utopia, and they've tried to automate everything and now they're trying to humanize it. What do you think is the best way to go about it from either way? <laughs> Yeah, I guess my view on this is probably not very popular because I think you have to, if you're starting out, you have yeah. to start manually. And I think the best first step is to become really clear on who is your ideal customer? Who's your dream customer? Mm -hmm. Who are the people that you can serve best, who have the problem that you solve, who 
are a good values match yeah. for you and your organization, who are they? Get really clear on them, really nail down what is the problem? Why are they having that problem? How's it making them feel? How do you tap into the conversations that they're having online about that particular problem or related conversations? Mm -hmm. Where do those people hang out? Where can you start having conversations with those people? So that would be my first thing. Now, you can use some technology in that yeah. arena to work out where are they hanging out and it may be they're on LinkedIn or they're in a certain group on LinkedIn or no, they're not, yeah. they're on Facebook or they go to this networking event. Those are the kind of things. Then the next step, of course, is get involved in conversations in those particular arenas mm -hmm. where they're hanging out. Yeah. And I think the one of the things at least that, that I have to append onto that also is that it's very unlikely that you're going to get it exactly right the first try. And so in addition to that, I would say it's really important to be willing to adjust and pivot because yeah. for any type of business out there, there is a repeatable sales flow process, but it's very unlikely you're going to hit it the first try. And yep, a lot of times right. what you'll have to do is you'll have to stumble through a whole lot of two steps forward, one step back, or one step mm -hmm. forward, two steps back. But once you get to that point, then you can basically indefinitely repeat it. And, but I think that's actually it's the struggle that a lot of businesses have to go through is to figure out what does that process look like for your specific business? Because it's like the, everybody's business is a little bit different. And so there are certainly some things you can do that are similar to other businesses, but ultimately what works best for you is going to be unique to you. I really wish that I could remember who I first heard this from, but there was one thing that I heard one time that was just really resonated with me. And it was, I think I was reading a lot about stoicism at the time. So it might've been like Marcus Aurelius yeah. or Epictetus or one of the people talking about them. But the idea was that no two people in the world are exactly alike. And so what that means is that no two people can exactly be compared to each other. So that instead of me comparing myself to who you are today, I should only be comparing myself to who I was yesterday. And so what that ultimately means, and I solemnly swear I'm coming to a point on this, what that ultimately means for your marketing process is that instead of comparing your marketing process or your marketing system to somebody else in a similar or different industry that's getting amazing results, compare it to where you were last week, yesterday, whatever, and make it continually better. Bring in the lessons that you can but I think the big mistake is to look at somebody who just has something that's just completely crushing it in one niche or vertical and say, I need to be like that. I go, that yeah. might not work for your niche or that might not work for your vertical. And so like you, as I say, you, if I try to take something that's just destroying it in weight loss and I try to apply that as a financial planner, I can't just lift and shift that. I might be able to apply some of the principles, but it's going to be different. <laughs> yeah. And then that could be different if you're, say, like a financial planner at Edward Jones versus if you're like, say, a high net worth wealth manager at Wells Fargo, or if you do our alternative asset, or if you're running, say, a, a high net worth hedge fund, or there's all kinds of variations. And the way that marketing process works will be a little different for everybody. So I think, you know, mm. if you're listening to this and it feels like you're falling on your face trying to figure this out, that's okay. Just yeah, continue I think the, iterating. I think comparing with somebody else that's already achieved a certain level of success is a very dangerous thing because we don't know 
what's their journey been? If I think of myself as a podcaster, I've done 550 episodes. If somebody's doing episode one of a podcast and says, why am I not as good a podcaster yeah. as this person has done 550, that's an unfair comparison because yeah. in those 550 episodes, I've done a lot of things. I've fallen on my face many yeah. times over and I've learned from that and I've evolved and developed. So that's a really good point. One of the things that I think it's really important, and this comes back to the making marketing human again as well, is listening. When you're having those conversations with others, to listen and ask a lot of really meaningful questions, ask deeper questions. Don't try and sell from the get-go. Ask and find out more about that. That way you can refine more who your dream client is. And also when you encounter those people that are crushing it in a certain area, ask them some meaningful questions. Learn yeah. what were the challenges they've overcome. And that way you can dig into what are some of the principles that perhaps you can learn from those people that are really successful. And what can I then bring into my own business from that conversation, from the things that I've learned out of that conversation? Absolutely. And I think that that's a really important insight. Don't just connect with people who have those really successful sales cycles, but also in mm -hmm. other industries, also talk to people in your niche who have been successful to find out what they're yep. doing, to try to see where are some of those elements that you can stitch into your own unique special process. Exactly. All right. Well, let's see. So let's dig a little bit deeper here. In the pre-show, one of the things you were talking about is how you do work a lot with people in, say, manufacturing and technology. Can you share some of the ways that you've seen this successfully applied in those industries? Yeah. One of the ways that I think it really works well, particularly in larger companies, is this concept of assigning people as an account manager, for example. Yeah. So let's say that there's company A that has 10,000 employees worldwide, all around the world in different roles. Yeah. Dealing with company B, who also is of a similar size. So you think that's two big organizations and things, lots of things can go wrong there. But if in a particular business, you have one person that owns the account and is responsible for managing those relationships. So they bring in and they operate across the board and it's a process driven thing. So there's a process that involves, so the CEO who might be three or four levels senior to this account manager person is actually called upon to meet with the CEO of the customer organization at a point, at a regular kind of interval that is determined by this account manager. That's one example where that account manager can call on different resources within the organization, whether it's senior level executives, whether it's technical support people, whether it's marketing people and bring those in and kind of manage the relationships. And I think that's worked really well in the examples where I've seen that done. It does require people setting aside their egos because the hierarchy, if we insist on the hierarchy, sometimes that gets in the way. Yeah, but key there is that having those relationships and then of course the communication is really key, having a central communication so that everybody there knows when the CEO goes in to meet with the other CEO, yeah. that he knows there's these different conversations that have been happening here, here are the key points I need to hit on. But the start point really is just continue to build that relationship. Yeah. And in that manner, if something goes off the rails, if something goes wrong, because there's relationship there across the different levels, 
people can just pick up the phone and say, hey, we've got an issue here. We need to deal with this. Let's have a conversation around how we can get this back on track. Yeah. And I think there's a thing you said that was really important that I want to unpack a little bit, which is where you were talking about managing the relationship. And I don't know if it's just me getting old and cynical or if it's just one of the things I've observed, but it feels to me like there is an increased focus in trying to get to the sale as quick as possible. And maybe that's all just always been the case and I'm romanticizing the past. Who know, but it feels to me like the relationship focus has really, has really waned in the past 10, 15 years. And I feel like I'm at this inflection point where it's starting to come back because I think mm. there's an increased amount of resistance that basically just straight to the dollars type of approach. And just the, Speaking for myself, I think there is a big implicit danger in only viewing people and companies as big dollar signs because mm -hmm. that ends up being another, and as I would say, another vector in what I call the psychopathic vortex. So at least my observation between, say, social media, between essentially you creating and re creating a self-reinforcing cycle of narcissism, between big companies using <laughs> hyper-consumption, and then between your large government entities that are basically trying to encourage people to be dependent and unproductive, you have this vortex where, I don't know, where people are... I, I guess, being trained into sociopaths, narcissistic mm. sociopaths, and that's not productive in any way. <laughs> that's right. That's the paradox, isn't it? Because the productivity measures, and you talked earlier about efficiencies coming through the use of technology and the productivity measures often the salespeople in a company are measured on how many sales do they make? They're not yeah. measured on how good are the relationships or they're not even measured on how much business do they retain? How yes. much business yeah. which they already have do they retain? And this is something that I think particularly in industries like telecommunications, like internet service providers, the turnover there is incredible and they're just focused all the time on new sales. And that's all, I think that's all people are measured on. How many new customers are they bringing on board? But they're not taking into account how many existing customers are they retaining and I'm not even sure they're looking at how many net customers do they have month to month, because yeah. if they lose more customers than they bring on board, then that figure would be going down and the business will be suffering as a result. The whole idea of maintaining customer relationships with the existing customers is something that I think needs a lot more emphasis right across the board. Yes, precisely. And Again, just kind of thinking back on what's gotten us to where we are right now, I think that just the wave of mergers and acquisitions that have been happening over the last, say, 20, 30 years, I think that what's ended up, or at least what I've observed happening, is in a lot of cases, what will happen is so the normal playbook for M&A is you'll get one company that acquires another one, and then what they do what they call removing redundancies, which basically means that instead of saying, okay, now we have twice the size of a sales force, you'll say, okay, may we'll retain about 30-ish percent of the people that we acquired and then the rest, either some combination of the people we have on board right now or the other people, they're going to get let go. And of course, if you don't do this exactly right, you can basically just flush those relationships down the drain. And at least I hope that there will be a more thoughtful and deliberate focus on the way these types of things are done because, of course, the numbers on M&A are atrocious. I think it's something like... I think it's over 80% of mergers and acquisitions fail to create net value. And I really don't know why people keep, why companies keep doing it when the odds are that long. I guess it's just one of those things where 
everybody thinks they're going to be that one in five mm -hmm. or one in 10 or whatever the numbers are. So, but I think that, yeah, just these cycles of whether it's downsizing from economic cycles or whether it's M&A, I think that there's been so much volatility in relationships. I think there's a real opportunity for if you do prioritize relationships and keep them stable, you can create a real durable competitive advantage. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think you've raised a really important point there. I've observed quite a number of mergers and acquisitions mm -hmm. inside where I've been inside the company who's acquired other companies. And there's been some very sound strategic reasons for mm -hmm. those acquisitions. But what happened was values and cultures of the companies that we acquired were just a little bit different. They weren't mm -hmm. a mismatch, but they were yeah. just a little bit different. And those values and cultures made that company unique. And that's what drove their success in some ways. And then when we merged them, we said, okay, now you have to fully align with our values and you have to do things our way and stop doing that stuff you are doing because that's not aligned with the way we do things here. And of course, in doing that, we flushed the baby down the drain with the bathwater. Yep. And they lost whatever uniqueness they had. And now all of a sudden we were just a bigger organization, but we hadn't the strategic reason why we'd acquired that particular other organization had evaporated. Yes. And I think one of the things that it highlights for me is in focusing on relationships and the human to human marketing, we've got to look inside our organizations first. Yeah. And so first of all, we've got to get some really good relationships good grounding of relationships inside our own organization. And I mentioned earlier about that communication was key internally. I should have pointed out as well that the internal relationships are the foundation for then going outside and building marketing on a relationship focus as well. Okay. And so I agree with you. And there's at least I have an observation that I want to share <laughs> and give you a reaction to, because I spent a really long time in the tech industry. I spent about 18 years at Intel, a couple of years at Lattice Semiconductor. And so I think everybody who I talked with, every company, every group would precisely agree with you. They would say absolutely 100% internal relationships are completely critical to our success. By the way, every year when we go into performance reviews, you're going to be a part of a rank group. You'll only have a chance, not guaranteed, yeah. but a chance to get promoted if you are judged to be in the top 25% against your peers. And if you're in the bottom 5 to 10%, then you're going to be kicked out. And because that's the general electric, I call it the general electric religion, because mm. that's the way that GE ran in the 1990s. And there were a lot of people who filtered out of GE out toward a lot of other companies and they replicated that process. I think which it is very good at filtering out the people who do things that come or filtering to find the people who do things the company way the best, but it is not the best at fostering mm. genuine collaboration. Because right, it essentially, yeah. it puts everybody in a battle royal grudge match against each other for the necessarily limited number of promotion slots. And it also tends to weed out those people who may well be extraordinary performers given the right environment, provide a different perspective yeah. because they're likely to fall outside of those really tightly defined parameters. So you, um, you end up yeah, with precisely. a lot of people... A lot of people in the same mold. Yes. Nobody yep. there to put their hand up when there's a strategy proposed or an idea proposed that's pushed forward that is actually a bad idea. There's nobody there to put their hand up and say, hang on, let's just dig some a bit deeper here because I think this is actually not a good idea. 
Yeah, precisely. I think that's one of the things to keep in mind too, is when you're talking about something like we want to have strong internal relationships, you have to say, okay, what does that really mean? What that really means is that you need to A, talk about it. That is important. And then the rest of your processes and evaluation methods needs to align with that. Otherwise, you'll just end up shooting yourself in the foot. Mm, exactly. And I think you can have a high-performance culture. I'm a big fan of having a high-performance culture. Uh -huh. I think you can have a high-performance culture and still embrace that human element. And really, it just comes back to caring for other mm -hmm. people. Yeah, precisely. And then again, just getting into personal philosophy, I completely agree with you, but I think that the way a lot of companies go about trying to create a high-performance culture, I think is what I would say it's scarcity-based instead of abundance-based. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so the scarcity base is to say, okay, essentially what we want to do is we want to essentially put everybody in a zero sum competition against each other to try to find the people who are going to win the battle royal. I go, okay, that is going to be very effective at finding the people who can do whatever is being incentivized the best. Doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get the best overall long-term output. It means you will be getting the people who are doing whatever you're incentivized the best. On the other hand, if you can create a culture basically where you can foster continued positive collaboration, you can still have a very high-performing organization without needing to turn it into a head-to-head -head continual competition. But I think in order to do that, you really need to have, it, it takes a very particular type of leader to do that kind of thing effectively. And I think mm -hmm. that's a lot harder than a lot of people really want to recognize. Yeah, I think leadership there, as you say, leadership is really critical there. And I was just thinking as you're talking there, the uh, as we're recording this, the World Cup is running. Yes. So soccer for all you people in the USA. <laughs> <laughs> is And there's some interesting results there. And I think it's manifesting, we're talking about here, yeah. in that some of the high-performance high countries, they're not high-performance teams as such. The ones that have players that are on mega salaries that are yeah. superstars who in this performance culture would be ranked really very highly. Some of those national teams are performing very poorly. In fact, there's been a couple knocked out already that was unexpected if you look yeah. at the form, but, and other teams that don't have those superstars have progressed to the last round of 16. And it comes back to they've, the superstars have worked for themselves to some extent, whereas the teams of less than superstars, they've worked together as a team and yeah. they've been more successful as a result of doing that. Yeah, and precisely. And I'm going to date myself here, but this, of course, be, being from the USA, I, I can't help but think of the 1980 Winter Olympics, the USA hockey team, which was basically they were the kids from college who was going mm. against the Soviet Union, who'd been, the whole team had been playing together forever. And, but the team USA figured out how to play as a team and then how to win as a team, even though they were individually far less talented than the people they were mm. playing against. And because, yeah, if you do this right, the whole really is greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's lots of analogies or lots of examples of that in the sporting arena where, and it does come back to the leaders of those teams. Often it's the coach or the manager of the team who, and the management team of the yeah. team who put together the strategy, but then manage those people set not only in that national level, they do less about developing their skills and talents than bringing them together as a team and getting their mindset right to work together as a team. So that's really critical.
And I think that's the role of the leader. Yeah, exactly. Precisely. And I think it's in, I don't want to say unappreciated because people appreciate it, but a lot of cases it's an underappreciated role. Probably the most valuable thing that a leader yeah. does. All right. Hey, this has been an amazing conversation. Can you give us just one or two last thoughts and then make sure to let everybody know where they can find out more? Yep. Last thoughts. I'll come back to what you said earlier about the comparison. Don't get stuck by comparing yourself against somebody else. Try things out and get really clear on who the dream customer is and where you can reach them and how you can connect with them. That's mm -hmm. the sort of the third step of that. How can you connect with them at a human level, find out yeah. more about them? It's about asking lots of questions and listening and then adapting. So I think I'd just come back to that. In terms of finding out more about me, check out the InnovaBiz website. If you go to InnovaBiz, I-N-O-V-A-B-I-Z.com.au, and you'll find everything there about the business. You'll find the podcast there and you'll find a little pop-up video of me inviting you to have a conversation with me. Outstanding. Outstanding. You're going to really appreciate your time today. Thanks a lot, Doug. All right. Thank you for listening to the Terminal Value Podcast. To keep the conversation going, please join the Terminal Value community on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash groups slash Terminal Value Community and click join. Also, if you like this episode, please leave a review on iTunes or Spotify and make sure to subscribe. When you share it on your favorite social channel, be sure to tag me and tell me what you did or didn't like about the episode so I'll know what to create for you. I'm looking forward to hearing from you and I'll see you again on the next episode.